I just think it's fun to ask that question to comedians because I, I feel like it could just go very dark. Um, <laughs> yes. It's like opening a can of worms. How was your childhood? Like, I'm a comedian. What do you think? Um, <laughs> it was perfect yeah. and I got all the love I needed and that's why I'm doing this because I'm a sociopath. Uh, no. <laughs> everyone welcome to comedy girl crush podcast i'm kate siegel i'm nikki urban and our guest today is Teresa lee but before we get into the interview kate nikki how are you <laughs> uh i'm good uh like i feel like today is one of those days where it's like no news is good news right like yeah nothing it's my birthday this week woot it's officially oh! virgo season I feel like everybody thinks that their astrological sign is the best astrological sign. Um, and Virgos are extremely guilty of that. We all think that we are just the fucking best. Um, but I do love a Virgo. I got to say, I do love me a Virgo. Beyonce is a Virgo. and That's all I need. That's all I need to know. Uh, uh, I will say for the record, I am a Libra and I do not think we are the best. I think... <laughs> I think we are delightful and necessary parts of the ecosystem, but I but that might be part of the whole Libra thing is we want fairness and we are like, no, we are definitely not the best. We deserve all the ire that people have towards us. Libra is, I'm pretty sure my younger sister's Libra. What's your birthday? October 10th. Oh yeah, okay, she's September 29th, yeah. Um, yes, I... I, I always have to look hers up because I'm like, what sign is my sister again? Because I know she's very quintessential for her sign. But I, I got to say, I love you, Libra. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, somebody recently, like somebody recently tweeted or like it was like a meme or something that was like, oh, this actually might have been Allie Lou and I or like or she liked it. I don't I saw it like somewhere in her feed where it was like, um, imagine being a Libra and bragging about it or something like that. <laughs> I was like, I was like, ouch. Oh God. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> like oh, that's, that's fair. So <laughs> Cause yeah, we're also charming. We're very charming, but also, you know, it's like, it's like fluff, you know, we like, Oh, let's leave. We love, we just want to love. Okay. A little all over the place. Right. That's yeah. what I think of with my sisters. Like, she is like somebody where we're like, okay, Candace's flight gets in at eight o'clock. Any bets on what time the flight Candace actually boards will get in? Like, <laughs> Homegirl has never made a train, never made a flight. <laughs> oh my, my god! All-time favorite person. Very, very true about uh, Libras. How are you doing? Um, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I, uh, it was like a really, it was like a, a, a busy weekend of like, uh, like part, like birthday parties are happening again. So I went to like four different birthdays, which is like, uh, it's like slightly terrifying and slightly like, oh, and then on top of it, um, uh, 
my friends at Friendo, uh, sketch team Friendo from the pack, uh, they had a they had a live show um, that was at this real like real interesting space that was like it was like an outdoor and it was like the first time seeing live sketch comedy uh, since all this began and it definitely like filled filled my heart with joy uh, like seeing it. it was very funny like they did a really good job um, like I was very I was very impressed by what they did it was like best of stuff like stuff they, they had done in the past um, but it was just it was like it was cool like the energy was like we were all stoked, you know? Hell like yeah. We were all just, like, stoked to be there and, like, but also, like, then awkward, too, because, like, afterwards we were like, oh, yes, we're talking again, yes, after shows. <laughs> this this was awkward before the <laughs> pandemic, and now now it's a whole other thing. Um, but the birthdays were fun. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about comedy stuff? You got anything? I know your, uh, your show is coming up, right? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah, so excited. We just wrote out, uh, wrote out the script, the first draft of like, like the games. Uh, yes. Pop cultured flappers comedy on September 1st, 8 PM. As, as all, uh, as I've been saying, we got our judge, Jimmy Pardo. And then our guests are, uh, our contestants are Jimmy. Uh, wow. Doug Benson, Lori Kilmartin, and Blaine Kapatch is our returning champion. Very excited for it. And I also had a couple of uh, good auditions. Ooh. Yeah. Where it was like, oh, even if I don't get any calls, I feel very proud of the work I did in those. Like, I didn't walk away from them. I, like, I felt prepared for them, which was exciting. And maybe it was that class that I'd taken. Yes, it was definitely the class I took, but... Uh, one was exciting because on the like breakdown for the audition, they were like top, top main stage talent, like comedians only. They're like, we want the names. And I was like, you sent me out for this? What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'll take it. Cool. Awesome. So I worked really, really hard on it. Um, and then another one was just like, oh, this is really, really fun. And Yeah. This was good. And the casting director said it was funny at the end, which is like always like, yes, fuck yeah. Fuck, fuck you. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, uh, things are things are good. good, Pretty good at the moment. But I've also uh, kind of like what Teresa was saying, or, uh, what Teresa will be saying later in the podcast. Wait, hold on. Is that weird? Do I no, not no, mention? I think it's fine. No, I think it's fine. Okay. Uh, okay, cool. <laughs> What Teresa will be saying later in the podcast about like, oh, you know, like not finishing or like the having a healthy, like a healthier approach to doing comedy and having those wins where it's not like, oh, you, you got this, you felt this win and you're high from it. Like I'm trying not to do that where I'm trying to be like, yes, well, this is like the normal, the normal will be, you know doing well because I prepared for it and loving the process of preparing for this thing. So that's where I'm at right now is like, I am very proud of preparing properly for this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I honestly, like, I've never had an audition that felt like that. So that is like, it's like a huge win, right? It's feeling like you did the work and you did like a great, a good job as, as good a job as you can do with it. Like, it's so easy to go to get into an audition and walk out of it and be like, well, that was not my best work. Um. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I definitely have a memory of that, like an audition for a commercial where like I just I like wasn't right for it to begin with. 
And it was with this, uh, the casting associate is one who's like, very like just like a gr- like grumpy like a grumpy yeah. sort of type who's like not encouraging is very much just like looking at her watch you know yeah. um and i uh, just like i blew it and like we were supposed to be off book and it was like this whole page it was like a page it was a whole monologue with like weird terms like bank stuff and it was like i yeah i just had to let it go and be like okay clearly that's not <laughs> Where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, I have... Literally every audition I've ever had has been terrible. So. <laughs> what? No way. I saw your uh, your audition for Sketch Night, and it was great. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I... Uh, sketch comedy, honestly, like, I, live, I wish live sketch were a thing that you could make a living doing, because that is what yes. I love doing. Like, I love doing that so much more than, like, anything else. Well, you want to get into our interview. And our guest today is the incredible comedian, actress, writer, producer, D, all of the above. Teresa Lee, you know her from the podcast. You can tell me anything. And she's amazing. Uh, Teresa, thank you so much for coming on. We uh, we love you. <laughs> Aw, thank you so much for having me. What a great intro. It's a nice way to start a day. I feel like I'm just going to have an alarm clock now that just reads my credits. <laughs> And I'm be like, oh, I don't need any validation. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> uh, that is what we're here for. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. I know you are super busy right now. You've got so much going on, and it is just awesome to get to have you on to talk about it. Thank you so much for making time for us. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm busy more in the like ADHD sense. Well, and I'm saying that as a person with ADHD, not not to like shame anyone. Um, like my schedule changes constantly because I'm self-employed now. I fully went freelance in February. So um, it's, yeah, it's, there's busy and then there's panic. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, congrats on getting self-employed. Yes, it's always yes. nice when people can make that work. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, it, it kind of came out, it was like a good thing out of a bad thing. I mean, not to get too into that story, but I was like, let go from my full-time job and that was very scary and then I was like I'm just gonna go self-employed and so I didn't know if it would work but it's one of those like you know throw jump into the water and then learn to swim as you're drowning uh seems so far to be okay <laughs> oh man hey relatable uh this literally the same thing happened to me this year we're like oh yeah, yeah except I'm not I'm not self-employed so much as been just collecting unemployment <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, whatever works. <laughs> oh man. Uh congrats. So by self-employed, what uh what does that what does that mean? What do you get to do? Uh I mean, it, I was half sort of like I already was considering myself as like full-time comedian cuz my my full-time job was writing, but it was like a salary job. So it wasn't union, it wasn't really what I guess a comedian would consider writing, but it is. It was in the hybrid space. So I was trying to like I think what got finally got me to be comfortable calling myself self-employed was I had to just think of myself as a comedian and then everything I did was just a way that fell under that instead of like, oh, this is my side job or this, like I started driving Lyft a little bit, you know, and I can decide when I need to do that and when I don't. So instead of thinking of that as a self side job, I just think of that as like part of the umbrella. You know, every company has their things they don't love. Like, you know, they have to sell merch or whatever, but it makes the machine go. So it helps to think about it that way. Oh. But I'm freelance writing as well. So it's a mix of like doing stand up, working on 
new material. Um, I just directed a short, so I'm working on getting that uh, post-production started and then Ooh. freelance writing scripts for whoever hires me. Uh, right now I'm like writing for, um, well, I don't know if I can say, but it's an animated children's thing, so. Cool. Oh, that is exciting. <laughs> um, I uh, I loved your your short. Uh, I think she's uh, I think she's into you. Oh, thank you. I think she likes you. I think she's yeah. like she likes you. Sorry. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> no, it's all good. No, I mean that was like the same same meaning. Um, thank you. Yeah, that I actually did. I wrote that with Christine Medrano, and we did that while we were both unemployed as well. Like we had like we went on a tour, came back. We were both unemployed, and then we're like, let's just write something, and we shot it. Within, I think it was like within what, two months. We wrote it in June, shot it in August, and then I got a full-time job in October. So I for anyone out there who is in between things, I think um, obviously look for something to not starve in the future, but take use of that time because it, it does end up going away later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you like really took advantage of having that time. Did you direct that one as well? No, so this is actually my first time directing a short I wrote. Um, that one was directed by Bridie Elliott. Uh, Christina and I co-wrote it and starred in it. So we wanted to, I, I just, um, I, I know some people do all things like auteur stuff, but uh, since it would have been my first time directing, we really wanted to be able to focus more on it. So um, unlike the performance, I think with writing, it's like that part was done and then we focus on the acting and we had a producer and director, so... This time I wasn't in it, so that also helped. So I wrote it and then focused on directing. Yeah. Uh, well, I, uh, uh, it's so funny. In uh, I think she likes you. Uh, the meltdown when you guys are melting down, <laughs> like I was, I was like dying. I was like, this is so funny. And the specifics in it, like the specific things that you guys are saying, I was like. Oh my God, so funny. <laughs> it's a documentary is what I like to tell people, which I don't mind if you laugh at it, but those are real tears. Uh, no, but we, we like wrote it as a comedy, knowing that if you view your own tragedy later, you know, people say tragedy plus time, but I'm always like, kill the time, just like <laughs> write it into a thing and show people and then everyone will laugh together. And also, it's not like, you di it didn't happen, so it's okay to be sad about it. But then it kind of adds like an extra layer of like happiness to any sad moment. <laughs> oh, so it was it was based on a, a true thing that happened. So, yeah, it, I mean, it's based on real. Like both Christine and I, we we weren't together, but we both have been in separate relationships that had similar narratives, and so we wanted we kind of combined things. So it's not the if you watch the short for anyone who watches it, I guess I should say what it's about. It's like um this couple who. In, invite a guy home to have a threesome but basically we flipped the male gaze around so instead of having like the fantasy of entering like a physical relationship with two women he, he jumps into the emotional relationship um so it's a lot of crying and letter reading um <laughs> and yeah it kind of just came out of the idea that we realized like we didn't have a lot of bisexual representation for women in when growing up like outside of just like the male gaze sex fantasy and we wanted to show like a more representative version, which is, you know, emotional. And there's going to be a lot more femininity when you put two women and one man together. So it's kind of where it came from. Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
you have a joke in your oh I want well your comedy album which you recorded over zoom which is <laughs> like I'm curious to have you talk about that experience as well um how did you know you wanted to do like a full comedy album over zoom and release that in pandemic <laughs> um thank you for uh bringing that up um I need to let people know it is exactly that it's a comedy album recorded over zoom so people are like oh you have an album like it is but also I know it it's gonna it sounds like what it is so don't worry I know uh, <laughs> um <laughs> because it's not it's not you know it's recorded at home um so I it actually what didn't start from the idea of wanting to do an album I was really like sad I guess just like everyone else to have to be inside for so long and then I was hosting a show comedy quarantine on Instagram we did with um Babs Gray and Dom Jellin um were co-hosts and we were pretty much doing it every day for like a year we eventually moved to three days a week but we did like over 100 shows and it kind of became a way to just keep ourselves sane and check in with comedians and you know some people would write jokes some people would just check in so I ended up having a lot more material than I thought over quarantine not all polished but for New Year's Eve I knew that I would feel FOMO and my resolution the year before was to get a New Year's Eve gig so instead of sitting at home being like you know wishing what could have been I just decided to throw a like a zoom New Year's Eve show of just like all the jokes I wrote in 2020 and since I was doing it anyways I was like I'll record it and maybe I'll put it together into like clips um but then I have over an hour so I just decided to release it as an album it's great. It's so fun to listen to because you like you leave the audio on for the people in the audience. And so like you get the laughter, but you also like have momentary conversations with them and interactions with them, which is so different <laughs> for a comedy album. And it's like it's so fun to listen to. I Oh, thank you. Yeah, I wish I like if I had known I was going to put it out like that, I would have maybe prepped more with having like just the audience being recorded on a separate thing but it, when you listen to it, it you do there are times I leave them in there are times I cut them out because it's easier to use just the audio like I had a separate mic for myself of just me um because it sometimes got too much with them but so you'll hear like it, it's not like full room of laughter you'll hear like one or two laughs to represent the audience but <laughs> I mean it's not like edited where I move the laughs around but sometimes I'll just like just use mine and you don't hear anybody at all mm -hmm. and sometimes you'll hear like uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is accurate for what zoom shows sound like so I'm not like nervous about it but it is interesting talking to comics because you're like whoa that's brave that you would post a thing with no laughs I'm like I've been doing these Instagram shows where I can't hear anything for like an entire year. So it's like one laugh is better than just my face, you know? We've talked to people who like hated doing comedy in Zoom uh, and people who like really leaned into it. And like you released an album, like how did you like, did you like really like doing comedy remotely over Zoom or are you excited <laughs> to get back to in person? I love doing on stage comedy in real life. Yeah. I mean, I think this is probably true across the board of um, just there's nothing to compared to the energy of a room because I, I really think we feed off of the energy and you can't really read a room if you're not yeah. in the same room as someone. But that being said, there are interesting parts of being on Zoom. So I think for me, it's not that it's better at all. Like I definitely prefer live comedy, but it's just different. So I think when I realize, oh, this is different where I'm using some comedy skills and then I'm learning a whole new thing and just treat it as a different thing instead of comparing it, then I had more fun. I think it's so cool, like, I, like, the fact that you do, uh, that you have, like, a background, you went to NYU, right? 
for, yeah, yeah, that's so cool. But, uh, for screenwriting, I wasn't a film. I know people are like, oh, you so you did film. No, I was like in the, it's not really that lame, but it is, it's like a very small program called Dramatic Writing. And I enjoyed it. I love writing. I've been a writing nerd all my life, but it is like probably the most waste of, wasted money at NYU. <laughs> <laughs> a screenwriting degree is like, oh God, you're just burning cash. Like, why? <laughs> I don't know. It's a, uh, I, I, it's not that much of a waste because you use that, right? You use the information <laughs> that you learned. I suppose, yeah. I mean, yeah, to be fair, I don't think, for me, like, I didn't have any connection to the industry or, or so I think it really did help me. But I, now, if anyone approaches me and asks, like, should I go, I'd be like, the fact that you're talking to me means you already know more people, so don't. Like, you don't need it. But if you were, like, in the middle of nowhere and you had absolutely no other way to start I it is good because it does kind of throw you in the water um but that being said if you're a writer you know you can't yeah you don't need to pay money to NYU to learn to write <laughs> <laughs> just move to New York and then like go to some NYU parties you can still meet NYU kids if if the network's what you care about you know literally you can do all of that without having to stay in an NYU dorm <laughs> I, uh, I am very pro like uh, telling people don't pay for college if it's not like if you don't think you need it like if there are just there are things that I did after college that I think helped me figure out what I wanted to do way more than college did and I'm like I just am saddled with debt and it like didn't help me get a better job and yeah don't go if you think it'll get you ahead in life but go if you want to go to college like I'm not discouraging people I want it like I definitely if I went back, I would still go to college because for me, it was important to, even though I'm aware a lot of that is just societal pressure and like family, you know, expectations. But if I hadn't, I think I would not like, it's this weird like loop because going to New York helped me learn how to like see myself outside of my expectations and expose me to new experiences and people of different backgrounds to be able to go to therapy. I mean, I talk about that in the album, but like I didn't grow up in a house that normalized mental health. Uh, my parents are a lot better about it now, but it, it, you know, it took us going, me and my twin, like leaving home and then like learning stuff and teaching them to get there. So all that being said, like if I hadn't gone to NYU, I don't think I would have um, figured all that out. But, hmm. so, but I, you know, I don't know, like, so I would do it again, but I also realized that if, you are not in need of, you know, telling your parents that you did it, you got into college and that they can trust you. Like, the, you don't have to do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's actually a great transition into, uh, we wanted to know, we, we love to know uh, from our guests what they're like, what it was like, what their childhood was like. So <laughs> great transition on your part. Uh, uh, so what was it? What, where did you grow up? What were your, what were your parents like? Were, was your family funny? That's three questions. Oh my gosh. I just think it's fun to ask that question to comedians. Cause I, I feel like it could just go very dark. Um, <laughs> yes. It's like opening a can of worms. How was your childhood? Like I'm a comedian. What do you think? Um, <laughs> it was perfect. Yeah. And I got all the love I needed. <laughs> and that's why I'm doing this because I'm a sociopath. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I don't think. No, I feel like no. I know you know there are comedians who grew up in lovely childhood homes who are not sociopaths, and I don't know why they're doing it. No, um, <laughs> I, uh, I yeah no. I love my parents now. I really have worked through a lot with them. I think family is really important. But that being said, I 
think honesty is really important too is to not repeat the same mistake so I'm pretty candid about my childhood like I mean there were a lot of um difficulties I think now my understanding I've gone through many phases where I was like resenting my parents and then like you know upset with them and then now where I stand is like I see my parents as like humans of like my age you know I can see them how they must have felt when they were in their 30s raising children as immigrants in America. So, like, I see that now and I realize, like, oh, my mom didn't have the tools she needed to grow up, so therefore she couldn't pass those on to me. Mm -hmm. So I don't resent that now. Like, as an adult, I'm able to give myself all those tools now or at least start to. Um, So I'm not upset that I didn't learn how to emotionally regulate (laughs) until my 30s. But that being said, it did make for a difficult childhood, I think, at times. Um, so I don't know. I mean, everything worked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did, like, cope a lot by writing and singing and dancing. And I have a twin, and she's this musician. So I think we both kind of fell into the arts as a way to express, like, our own, you know, frustration and, like, um, yeah, I mean, I know I'm being vague, but it's sort of like I think most immigrant children understand. Um, it's like complex trauma. It's not like one thing happened. Mm-hmm. But in general, there's a lot of difficulties when you're um, being raised in an environment where your parents didn't grow up. Because not only do you feel like an outsider, you feel like you're an outsider in your own family. You feel like you're an outsider at school. But at the same time, you also feel like you belong to both. So it's um, interesting that I am bisexual because I think <laughs> to me it also kind of describes how I feel uh, about my sexuality. Ah, and also ADHD. I know that can that can make you feel like yeah. an outsider already, being not, you know, neurodiverse. You're just like, already yeah, set Yeah, and up. I wasn't, exactly, and I didn't, um, I only got diagnosed with ADHD as an adult, mm-hmm. so a lot of stuff looks makes a lot more sense in hindsight. I just learned a new word um, from reading a blog, in heterospect, uh, <laughs> which is looking back <laughs> on you know your life before you knew you were queer and sort of understanding that more so I I'm trying to I love that word I just read it yesterday so yeah when I look back in heterospec a lot more makes sense but you know growing up it's like you're in a you're trying to complete a puzzle that you have the wrong key to you know you're like I'm trying to put together this puzzle of a mountain but I have all the pieces of a river or whatever are you where and where did you grow up where are you from originally I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, oh. Yeah, my parents met at Stanford, so like Palo Alto, and then um, grew up there and went to NYU for college and then moved out to L.A. Uh, like six years ago. Was transitioning to New York from the Bay Area, like, because you were, Palo Alto is like really like beautiful, very like like suburban. Was transitioning to like then living in the dorms in New York uh, a little shocking or was that an easy change for you? I actually really, really love New York. I think, but because I was really close with a lot of people in freshman, I think everyone as a freshman at NYU has like, there are a couple like uh, general ways you can go. Like a lot of people do end up dropping out. And I think I had friends that did drop out. And it's, what I like about it is it lets you know instantly if you're going to like it or not. And I loved it immediately. And there was moments when I was like, wanted my friends who were not loving it to love it like me but the reality is like they're probably on a different path and they're all happy now so um I really went in like it really felt like oh I found I found that thing I was looking for like you know like gay people uh no but (laughs) I mean that's part of it but it's a lot of it is just being able to be yourself and having the space for it and having it be celebrated and um 
in a way that felt really new to me um, from a small town. So Palo Alto is a nice place, but it's a very like I, I call it like it's liberal, but I call it like pseudo liberal, like pseudo woke because you have a lot of really wealthy, um, educated folks, and they all a lot of them mean well. Like I love a lot of my friends' parents, but if you have you know resources and then you're surrounded by other people who share the same beliefs and have the same resources it does become a little harder to challenge your views. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. And it, there's a university there. So it's just you get into an echo chamber. So what I liked about New York is you're just like immediately exposed to everything. And I was really excited about that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Just, <laughs> I mean, I will say, OK, the fun part, of, the fun, juicy parts is like I got to NYU and I immediately is like I want to go clubbing like which is so different from who I am now but I went there at 17 and I was like New York City I'm gonna like get shit-faced and go clubbing all the time and so there was a lot of that freshman year um which made for a lot of fun stories definitely would not do that now um (laughs) I hate going to clubs Mm -hmm. and I absolutely do not like bottle service but I definitely jumped into that like 17 year old in the club dancing on tables like just being a complete wreck um and you know I it's fine I I was that girl and it's okay because I feel like I was you know I was like the lamb led to the lion's den like the promoters like swarmed the freshman dorms for NYU and they're like just like get on my list get on my list and they just like bus in girls I mean there's no bus (laughs) we didn't take the bus uh obviously (laughs) we got a cab uh pre-uber okay but this is like how, like, it was a whole different world that now I look back, I'm like, ugh. But also it was so different for me. So we would like go out, you know, like a 17 year old, 18 year old NYU freshman, like get in a cab, go to a club, get in for free, like just get fed alcohol. Like at the time we were like, oh, we're so cool. But now I'm like, yeah, yeah. of course. Cause I didn't see myself as the product. You know, I was like, oh, a club? I'm enjoying it for free. And now I'm like, oh, no, you are the product. Like, they fill the club up with girls like you, and then they get guys to pay money to come in. And so, mm-hmm. like, it's not for you. Like, <laughs> what? Are you crazy? <laughs> like, but anyways. <laughs> as far as comedy goes, like, uh, does that something, like, when you were younger, were you a big comedy fan and that's something that you fell into? Or, like, when did you what was your first like experience with comedy and when did you know you wanted to do comedy? I don't, didn't traditionally grow up with watching stand-up comedy or comedy central or cable or anything really. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I got to watch MTV when we were on vacation or at a friend's house, but mostly I watched Arthur and Sailor Moon. So <laughs> yeah. I really, like, <laughs> I honestly, I love Arthur. I wrote an Arthur spec script in college, um, <laughs> but I didn't have like comedy because my parents didn't really like participate in like, niche American culture, which I call it, it's not niche, but it's like you have to understand the mainstream culture to then understand commentary on it, which I think is comedy. So comedy is actually a really cool way to backwards learn about a culture for anyone who's traveling or an immigrant. Because honestly, like, I think when you learn the commentary, you can get to the thing faster. Ah. But they weren't doing that. And I I grew up lobbying theater, like Shakespeare. And uh, I know this sounds strange to say, but like, when people ask about your comedic influences, it's like playwrights because like Shakespeare, <laughs> once you, you know, read enough of it and you get past it, like as a kid being like, it sounds boring. Like once you do kind of understand it, I went to Shakespeare camp as a kid. So I, true nerd, I went to computer camp and Shakespeare camp. Okay. So, <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so 
I really like Shakespeare because I understood it, and it is really funny. So a lot of my comedic influences, like you know, double meanings, double entendres. I love a goofy sex pun, like. All that influence from playwrights. <laughs> playwrights have dirty minds. Um, my parents were funny. Like my dad was really funny. I think I got a sense of humor from him. Like he was really good at making us laugh and just telling stupid jokes. <laughs> good dad jokes. Yeah. Well, I feel like yeah, good dad jokes. Sometimes like <laughs> he would have like really stupid. Like oh gosh. Okay, I, I want to tell one because it's just so to give you an example of how dumb. Because this is like a he's from Taiwan. So also there's a, on the other side of this is like learning. You know, like kind of shit jokes or whatever to be like oh this is funny because I'm saying the word shit and it's in English. like there's like the idea of like cursing in another language that's fun my mom would get so mad when he told this joke it's like a guy is selling uh toothbrushes and um he's like come buy a toothbrush and nobody wants to buy a toothbrush and then so then someone comes up he's like what are you selling toothbrushes and he has like a uh, chips and dip next to it and he's like do you want to buy one and he's like no he's like okay well do you want a chip and dip and he's like sure so he like eats a chip and he's like oh what is this it tastes like shit and then the guy's like it is here do you want to buy a toothbrush <laughs> <laughs> and like that would make me laugh so much and my mom would always get so upset because he'd scream like this tastes like shit and my mom's like don't say shit and he's like but it is shit like it's poop we're not swearing <laughs> so that's like my dad's sense of humor <laughs> In that particular case, there's a very Shakespearean pun in there. (laughs) Yeah. And then, so will you... uh... Oh, when I first started doing... Yes. I honestly, I feel like I was very much like a slow burn to get to comedy. Because, you know, I I was in New York City. So, like, really, like, the first true, like, exposure to live comedy was the people in Times Square going, like... Comedy tickets, come and I and we were all told like, don't buy these, don't go, they're bad, and it's not that they're bad, but they're generally like they're the bringer shows, yeah. right? Now we all know. So my first thought was like, comedy shows, haha, that's for tourists, uh, which is half true. So I didn't really think much of it, but then I um, went to watch like UCB shows, and I have a lot of friends in the writing program who are really into comedy, like you know, grew up watching stand-up and Comedy Central and UCB and were really excited about, like, meeting Amy Poehler and all that. So I think their excitement definitely rubbed off on me. Like, I didn't fall into it myself until I interned at um, uh, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. And I did really like SNL. I'll say, like, some mainstream culture got to me, you know, but... Mm -hmm. I loved Jimmy Fallon and Will Ferrell because, you know, I was a teenage girl. So I was like, Will Ferrell's funny and Jimmy Fallon's cute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I didn't say anything bad about him. OK, I just said he's cute. No. And that Will Ferrell's funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. uh, but yeah, so I interned there and then met comedy writers and they sort of like this is like the most boring way to fall into comedy because it's literally like it's like, OK, well, duh, you're around comedians. And they're successful, so they're happy. And then you see happy, successful. And you're like, that seems cool. I want to be happy and successful. (laughs) And then I'm like, how do you do that? And they're like, oh, go take classes. Go do stand-up. So then I was like, great, I'll do that. And then I did. So kind of boring, but uh, turns out I did like it. And um, not successful yet and almost happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to ask. I was like, did the happy I know. Did at least the happy come? (laughs) almost (laughs) no I love I mean I love the comedy the comedy makes me happy uh obviously you learn as you continue like 
there's more to it than that but (laughs) yeah yeah right there's a there's like a whole period right before you get happy that seems such a go there for a while I think what was helpful though was doing informationals with the writers because a lot of them you know comedians are pretty open about being unhappy like they're not really to them it's like funny so Mm -hmm. nobody really censored anything like I remember talking to um Actually, I think he's still like out around writing Eric Legend, um, mm-hmm. but he was a writer on Fallon at the time, and he told me like, oh, he really got really sad in our informational because he was talking about like I think he got a breakup things, but I remember feeling like oh that's so honest like we're at work I'm a random intern and he's just like telling me the shit you know like and he's like oh oh yeah and like you know I told myself uh, I want if I could hit one goal a year then I'll keep going and if not then I'll go to law school and he's like and then you know one year I was like I'll write a feature and and he's like I did it wasn't good but I did it so I was like I guess I'll keep going so I liked hearing it there like from him how it wasn't very easy but that obviously something kept him going and what I got out of that was like oh for most comedians and artists it's like not trying to find a reason not it's it's don't try to find a reason to do it like try to find a reason not to do it and if you can't then you got to do it like I think it's very easy to find a reason not to do it for anyone who doesn't want to do comedy um so instead of looking for reasons to do it like just be like if I have anything else I can do I'm gonna do it and so far nothing else has come my way so it's not that I you know it's like it's like your brain your intuition tells you like this isn't it yeah yeah, that's great. Like, I mean, because all the things that you have done and do like doing, like, funnel into this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that I was able to, uh, like you said, put my degree to use because I kind of thought I was never going to come back to writing long form. I really liked doing comedy and I was like, this feels right. But once I wrote the short, I realized that I was compartmentalizing these skills because the industry does. But, um, I don't in my mind separate it. Like I try to tell stories through stand up and through writing and in the short it's, you know, it's a story and it's funny. So I realized that um, I can just make something that I feel captures what I want to do at the moment. And, you know, it's coming from me. So hopefully people understand it's connected to me. Yeah. Well, do we want to get into the, the five questions? Yeah. Okay. These are five things. Before we were playing it fast and loose, loosey goosey with our interviews, but then we started to realize that we wanted to ask the same five questions pretty consistently. So we've decided to make that a segment. So first question, I know you already mentioned uh, Shakespeare, but what is your biggest influence in comedy? Uh, Honestly, I would say my dad, because it's funny, like when you asked that, I really thought like, oh, I don't think of my dad as funny, but all the things growing up that made me laugh were from my dad. So then what I realized was like, I really like that feeling of being able to laugh and I wanted to give it to other people. I think some of it came out of maybe feeling like I didn't have places to like people to talk to, to understand. And it felt so nice to be able to like connect through that. So I think it's like me wanting to give that to other people. Oh, have you told your dad how you, you, how much you love it? Yeah, <laughs> he knows. Okay. I mean, I think that, you know, now I've gone beyond just uh, appreciating my dad and now I'm doing comedy f- for me. So it's like, I don't know how he feels about it. I think on some level he's probably happy, but also it's probably gone beyond his control. Like <laughs> he's like a very religious and I imagine some of the things I say he's not super happy with, but he's supportive of me being happy. So we don't like discuss the details as much, but I think he's happy when things go well. <laughs> Best and worst moments in comedy. Like what was your, what's one of your comedy highs? And then like one of your real comedy lows? 
Oh gosh. Um I think Comedy High um well, I think I've gotten better at not needing like every every audition or showcase mm-hmm. to like go my way f- to feel the high. So now I'll, I think I've done more things that probably would surpass this, um but now they don't give me the ups and downs because I'm like more healthy about the way I view comedy. But when I first got um, the NBC stand-up showcase, I remember feeling like euphoric mm-hmm. because it just was like, it felt like the first time like the industry, like I got like a st- like stamp of approval from, you know, official industry. And so that was really exciting. Of course, looking back now, I realized like none of that means anything. It does mean something if you're tr- like, I think the goal is to keep trying for them. I'm not saying like don't try, but the fact it that does. you're trying and improving is all you really need because you don't need to get every single showcase and every single, you know, award, but you should still try for them. Um, if that makes sense. I don't know. <laughs> That's like a very diplomatic answer. <laughs> uh, and the worst, oh gosh, I mean, mm. I try not to remember. I try to like, uh, r- like not sit in the worst moments, but I I don't know. Oh gosh, I, I guess it would be like the spending too much time on the social aspect of comedy because earlier on you get really wrapped up in the social life. It is really fun. It's like summer camp. Mm-hmm. It's like going to school. You want, on some level, you should be involved with the people and your peers who are around the same like experience as you. So I'm not saying don't participate at all, but I think early on I was like really invested in it, like as if like my success like how people viewed me, you know, I want to be like the popular kid like that. That to me mattered more than like working on my set. So then, you know, wanting to make the back of the room laugh was more important to me than like making the two audience members laugh, you know. And I would say that probably was not a like I look back on that and that was kind of the worst. And, And, you know, there were like I dated comedians and it can work. You can date comedians, but I I had some really bad relationships and that I felt I would not have um I felt I probably was like oh you know maybe this will be fun because yeah I'll I watch couples in comedy work together and there's like an element of like wanting what you don't have like the status or the feeling of like oh I have this love that with someone that understands me but you have to find the right person you know like I dated people who like weren't happy when I got things and they didn't and I think that really did a number on me because I've never felt that way about people I like. So I, it really is hard to have to like feel like you're choosing between yourself and someone you love. Um, so that would probably be the worst for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like when oh, yeah. you uh, enter into a space where you're like competing or you feel like you're in competition with your significant other um, is like, it's it's death to it can be like real death to a relationship right yeah and I, I and to be fair I understand it like I'm it's not I'm not saying I've never been jealous but I think there's a difference between being like oh I understand I'm feeling jealous because the part of me that wanted this didn't get it but I can acknowledge that process it and then also be happy and then there's a difference between being like I can't even be happy for someone or I don't even want to be around this person because I didn't get a thing. And to me that it took a while to learn that like, that's not really love because like now, I mean, I'm in a healthy relationship now. And to me, I'm like, if we ever, he's not a comedian, but if we ever were to like compete and I have a twin, you know, we compete for things all the time. And to me, I'm like, I've never felt that because how I always feel is like, we both go into something and one of us wins. It's like having two chances to win because not only can 
I win and I'd be happy and she'd be happy for me. But if she won, I'd be like, my fucking twin sister won. And now I'm like, <laughs> I get to be happy too. So it's like two things. Like, I don't know. To me, I'm like, that's like two lotto tickets. Like, why wouldn't you want that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man, that's great. Uh, oh, okay. I uh, love this question. Hype up a friend. I guess that's not really a question. Uh, who's a Who's somebody that you think is doing really amazing work that – Oh, we should probably have on. Oh, gosh. Oh, uh, does it have to be a girl? Because the first person I was going to say, my best friend, Eli Olsberg. Um, no, it doesn't have to be a girl. Okay, because oh, I know the name of the uh, podcast. Comedy Girl uh, Crush, right? Look, <laughs> look we, uh, we interview comedians that we like. Uh, we ju- they just almost always happen to be women. Well, I'll hype up a girl. The first person I... Okay, I'll hype up two people. Because I when okay, you first cool. said hype up a friend, I was like, I want, I want to give more love to Eli Olsberg, who... It's not that he needs more love. He's successful and doing well, and he's like... Oh, done like Vans Warped Tour but we met at Laughing or we met right before Laughing Skull and we how I know the friendship is like very strong is when we first met like we disagreed in our first conversation and then we like talked through it in a very healthy way in a way where I was like I still disagree but we can be friends because I see things about you I like and you see things about me I like which I think is actually the best way to make friends um I used to be way more susceptible to like love bombing and like overly like oh my god let's be besties right away now I think that's a red flag (laughs) not (laughs) that not that it can't work but you know if you're way too you know invested in someone before you get to know them that's usually a red flag but yeah you and actually hung out yesterday and we were talking about how like he's seen me through so many phases of like not being able to set boundaries and now I'm like I see a red flag and I set a boundary and he's like I feel like so paternal watching you grow up and I just love like how he's so candidly himself and always able to set good boundaries and be really confident about like his comedy. Like he's funny and has a very clear voice, but also doesn't like get mixed up in drama. But he's not like antisocial. Like he goes to things. He enjoys like participating. So I think that's really great quality. Um, and then the girl I'll hype up, woman, Babs Gray, who co-hosted Comedy Quarantine with me, um, killing it with the toxic podcast she started with tess barker for a free britney movement they literally like got the free britney movement started which is incredible i did this like really strange netflix like stand-in thing with um a bunch of comedians because sarah shaver was writing on it it was like called laugh still laughing at the dolby theater with a bunch of like it's like a reunion of this old variety show called laughing and then tess barker was one of the comedians she was like telling us the whole story about like the conservatorship this was before that voicemail and she was really excited about the court because she talks about this in toxic um everyone should check it out but she ended up going in person to one of the court hearings and this was before that and so she was explaining (gasps) to us like this is coming up I can't wait so I remember hearing her talk about it then and the passion and like truly I just love when you see someone like be authentically themselves and then other people get on board like I hearing the passion there we were all like what are you talking about let's listen and still being like that's your thing cool we love you Tess like no idea it would become this thing but she's always been that excited. There was no like fraudulent, like, oh, now I'm going to make this my thing, you know? So I love yeah. that. Oh, man. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Also, and uh, love, love Babs. Yeah. I think yeah, she's, she's, been. She's, she's been on our list. And now Tess is on our list, too, because. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the lady to lady gals are great. I don't know if you've had Brandy Posey on yet, but 
She's great. No, not yet. Also on our list. <laughs> I just list names all day. No. Yeah. <laughs> we have this like very long Excel document that we just like slowly chip away at and like try to get people on from. But yeah, it, every time we like ask this question, it just gets like a couple names longer. <laughs> no, it's great. I think it's really cool to get, get people to hype each other up because I think we like, you know, men do it all the time and women do too. But I think we with the scarcity we've been taught to feel like it's scarce so we can't like you know give away anything but it's like why the more that we do this your list will never end like if we keep bringing women up and comedians you know it doesn't I mean, whatever i i hope we get to a point where we don't have to separate but i understand now we're trying to bridge a gap um but if we keep bringing yeah. people up it's never gonna end it's like a reverse pyramid scheme and i love it yeah yep mm. <sighs> my my heart my heart <laughs> Okay, so you have done a lot. You've directed, you've you have an album, a stand-up album, you do podcasting. What's something that you haven't yet done in your career that you are that you really want to do or that you're excited to do at some point? I'd love to do late night. I mean, it's definitely something on my list. I think um hopefully in the next few years. Um uh, but yeah, I think that's definitely something that I know people Say it's not the same as it used to be, but it's still something that would be important to me, and I'd love to, you know, have that. So experience. when you when you say late night, do you mean uh, performing on late night? Do you mean writing for late night or hosting a late night show? Oh gosh, no, I don't want to host a late night show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'd love to perform a stand up set on late night TV. Nice. Well, that that'll happen. Very, <laughs> I feel like within the year, that's my prediction. Oh, within a year, a few months left of the year. So, no. <laughs> with it, it was within, just a full moon, though, so we can manifest, you know. Yes, let's manifest it. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> okay. And finally, um, what's what piece of advice would you like to give to somebody who is either just starting out or just in the mix of comedy? Uh, I'll say keep going because. I know that's actually my New Year's resolution and I've been using it a lot whenever I feel like I don't know what to do. I'm like, just keep going. Because if you just keep going, you're not going to ever have to give up or fail. Um, And, you know, I think keep going applies to if you reach a moment where you're like, this isn't serving me and I don't like comedy. But at that point, you will have a better option. You know, nobody just quits to do nothing. So if you're like, I don't want to do comedy, I actually have this new passion, learning to fly a plane that's still continuing going because it means that comedy without comedy, you wouldn't have learned you have this new passion. So I think always keep going. Don't try not to like go back and redo a thing that you've already like, don't try to relearn lessons you've already learned unless you're so stuck, you know, because then maybe you've missed something (laughs) in that lesson. (laughs) That's really good advice. Is there like um, a practical way that you've applied that to your own life? Like not going back to relearn lessons yeah, I mean, like, it applies to work, too, because I used to think, like, I have to finish every script I start. But the reality is, like, sometimes you, as you try to crack a script, like, I had a pilot I was working on forever that I really liked, but I couldn't quite get it right. And I had rewrote it a bunch of times with some really major sweeping changes. And I even made a pitch deck, and I was really trying to, like, just con- keep going, right, even though I was like, it's not working. But I'm glad I didn't stop. But eventually, I got to the point where I was like, okay, I have now learned that this, I can kill it. And in development, like, things get killed all the time so I was like well what would happen if I sold this and then we got a pilot and then it didn't air or it did air and it didn't get watched like at some point things end so I was like do I want do I want to keep fighting for this 
like even if it got to that point like it would feel exciting to sell a show but like then I realized I was like I can barely fight for this pitch deck so I was like what I've learned from this is that I learned when something is good and when it's not and I didn't have to feel like that meant I'm not good at writing because then I by that point I had other things I was working on anyways so then I leaned into that and then you know I directed the short so there's things that get finished um I just think sometimes we try to finish them for the sake of finishing them as opposed to like learning or trying to do the thing that you feel would be the best oh that is so so fucking true <laughs> so it's like that's that's poignant that's like oh man i think i'm gonna really hold on to that this week oh good mm. i'm glad that was helpful sometimes i feel like i don't know anything so feel free to also do the opposite of what i say but just do something you know do something and have a reason for it and then if it doesn't work out then now you know like you don't have to do that again <laughs> Well, awesome. This was so amazing to have you on. You're very inspiring and very cool. Like, I, I, I you're very funny. And I know this is kind of love bombing, but. Uh, like, <laughs> oh, that's okay. Thank but, you. I appreciate it. You guys are great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We love to love bomb our guests. Love bombing is okay. I think love bombing is okay if you um, have reasons. It's only like it seems like you did your research and you you guys are both very um knowledgeable in your own comedy and other people's comedy so it doesn't count as love bombing if you have actual you know evidence (laughs) (laughs) yeah you can have love it's not a love bomb if you have love it's just love (laughs) yeah all right cool Um, Well, we have loved having you on. This has been awesome. Um, You're super dope. And it was really great to like just talk with you about all the freaking exciting stuff you have coming up. Oh, thank you. This was so fun. Like you're performing at the Philly Punchline on September 1st. That's right. Yeah, you can get tickets to see me (laughs) at the Punchline in Philly. Um, Yeah, so come do that. Are you, are you going are you going on tour or are you, uh, is that like are you just taking individual gigs here and there? Um, I'll be in New York for a month so it's not really a tour but I'll be doing shows there. I haven't posted okay. the shows yet um, but I will be in New York so I guess follow me and I'll be posting my shows. What a freaking delightful interview that was. It was so awesome to have her here. Yeah, it really was. Uh, she's so likable and so like I know on stage she's very like, She's very magnetic, and it definitely came across in this podcast getting to talk to her. Uh, just she has great experience, uh, and I really appreciate that she shared that with us. And her advice was so good. I'm gonna hold on to that. Like when you've been doing it for so long, when you when you've been getting experience and you've been getting your reps in with creating, with writing, uh, with acting you start to know what feels good. Like you start to know like this screenplay that I'm working on with uh, with Kate Rappaport and Julia Bartlett, like I love it. Like I am stoked on it. I will talk it up all day long because I love it. And then you compare that to like other things that I've worked on that I'm like, okay, I can let go of that. Cause you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't just like a relationship, you shouldn't try and do force yourself into something that, you know, is not bringing you joy. Yeah. That doesn't feel right. doesn't feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to force yeah. it to work. Yeah. And you, ha- I, I know what you mean. Like when you have that with the script, when you're like, this is the script, you know, like it, it you feel it, it hits different. Yeah. 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 It's like, I love this. I get joy. So huzzah. Uh, yay. Teresa's just joy. You're a joy. Hey, 
Hey, Kate. Joy. How dare Thank you? you. How no. Dare well, you? how dare how dare you? <laughs> shout out shout out to you for everything that you do. I am a big fan of you. Okay. Uh, Nikki, shout out to you for everything you do. I would not be here without you. If you liked this podcast, you like what we're doing, please go ahead and follow us on all the things and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts for a chance to be entered into our raffle this month. As we've said in the last couple episodes, our raffle right now is Madison Shepard. You can enter to win Madison Shepard's album, comedy album, Goodnight Silver Lake Lounge. It's very great. Uh, We love Madison and you should uh, write and review us so you can win her album or just buy it on your own. Why not? (laughs) Don't forget to uh, check out the other amazing podcasts on the Period Podcast Network. And uh, if you feel like donating, uh, you can find us on Patreon, uh, Period Podcast Network on Patreon. We appreciate your donations and we appreciate your listenership. Comedy Girl Crush was created by Nikki Urban, is edited by Kate Siegel, is produced by Kate Siegel, Mackenzie Mazel, and the Period Podcast Network. Our music is by Rena Hunter, and our artwork is by Ariel Alter. <laughs>